0: Hey guys, it's Kelly, and I want to welcome you back to the Unbroken podcast. So today I have an absolutely amazing guest named Patty, and I would like you all to give her a very warm welcome. She's going to share a little bit about her story and about re- her recovery and things like that. So I hope everyone can kind of learn a little bit. So how are you doing today, Patty?
1: I am well, Kelly. Thank you so much for that nice introduction. i um Delighted to be here with you.
0: Well, thanks for coming on. I really appreciate it. So did you want to start off with a little bit about your story? Sure, sure. So
1: I was sexually abused by my stepfather and to a lesser extent, a cousin. And it started when I was very young. Um, I'm the youngest in my family, and my stepfather worked nights, and my mother worked days. And my stepfather watched me before I started school. so uh, even though this was happening in my family, it was never discussed. It was just one of those mm-hmm. things that was never really discussed. Um, my mother and my stepfather divorced when I was 11, um, and I went on my life as, you know, as if normal. And as I got older, I really had an issue, with boys and later men. And I also started gaining and losing huge amounts of weight. So in my starting in my teens, I would gain and lose like 50 to 75 pounds every two years. So depending on when you saw me, there was just no way of knowing what I was gonna look like. And I also had, you know, kind of like I said, this issue with meeting men. And when I was in college, I would get wasted and I would hook up with strangers and, you know, but it was obviously not a great situation. Um, Mm -hmm. I did end up meeting someone and, you know, fell in love. And that was great. And I gained 75 pounds the first year we were together. And, you know, I mean, this was just my pattern. This was my trend. So I had tried seeing different therapists in my early twenties. And then, how can I say this? I just was a very closed person. So mm-hmm. I was very guarded and it was really difficult for me and I didn't enjoy the process at all. Yeah. <laughs> but I'm phenomenal at losing weight. Like I'm a great dieter. So I could lose weight and convince myself that this time it was for keeps and so on and so forth.
0: I um, need some pointers.
1: <laughs> I'm very black or white. So I'm very good at, this is what I can eat. This is what I can not eat. And I'm, you know, I'm very disciplined that way. Um, yeah. When I was in my twenties though, I ended up meeting someone And, um, I just was in love with him, but I wasn't sane around him. I really wasn't. Um, and so it kind of propelled me into therapy and I went to therapy for eight years and twice a week for eight years. And I felt like I got a lot of relief with my day to day because I was just miserable. I was just so unhappy and so stressed out and you know, I still remember I would go to work and I would think if only I could be hit by a bus, not to be killed, not to be maimed, but just so that I could be left alone for a while. Like I could just stay at home and not be bothered and not have to deal with anything. Like that was my fantasy. Um, I think that's and a lot of I, people's fantasies right now. <laughs> <laughs> and when I had met with this therapist and she was like, what are your issues? And I was like, I, I can't meet men and I hate my job and I my weight, my weight, my weight. And you know, I talked to her and she was like, you don't have three problems, you have one, it's just you, you hate yourself. Mm-hmm. And so we really spent all of our time on me trying to navigate my day to day. Yeah. Um, and um, after I saw her and I felt like she helped me a lot, I still had all the same problems. I still <laughs> was gaining and losing weight every two years. I was still, you know, had the same issues with men and I uh, still hated my job. <laughs> Even though I've had many over the years. Um, I'm sorry, it cut out. Basic introduction to where I. Oh, okay. It cut out for,
0: yeah, right before you said for a couple of years, it cut out. Oh, okay. Um, Hello, we'll just move on. (laughs) Technical problem. um,
1: I was going to say, I think that kind of covered it anyway. So, um, anyway, from there, I went back to, after I stopped seeing this therapist, I went back to, you know, trying to manage my weight again, you know, doing all of my own things. And then basically it just got to a point where at this point I was now in my mid thirties and I was once again dealing with the weight. And I was like, you know what? I need to deal with it once and for all and just be done with it. Or this will be my whole life of me gaining and losing 50 to 75 pounds every two years. And it's exhausting. Mm -hmm. Um, so I had started looking for a therapist and I really wanted somebody to treat eating disorders. And mm-hmm. I met with four different therapists. Like, I feel like if there's only one thing I say that, that anybody hears, it's that fit matters. Like you have to find the right person. And yeah. really, it's no different than a relationship, a job. If you're not a good fit, it's just not gonna work. And you don't mm-hmm. have to be committed to somebody just because they hang out a shingle on their door. Um, so I, I tried- again and then i found somebody who specialized in eating disorders and she and i were a good fit and at this point she specialized in emdr emdr which is eye movement desensitization and reprocessing which mm-hmm. i had never heard of and so basically it's for people suffering from trauma and so even though i went to her to get a handle on my weight she wanted to deal with the trauma and what's interesting is that at this point even though i had been in therapy for many years before I had never dealt with my childhood sexual abuse. I never talked about it. I never shared it. I just, it was, you know, it was like I was very focused on the here and now and I'm heavy and I want to lose weight and I want to meet somebody. And yeah. Never looked back. Now, um, did
0: she think that the weight, I don't, I hate saying weight issues, but did she think that that was somehow related to the trauma? Oh, yes. Yeah. So as soon as she met me, she said, your weight is a symptom
1: of the abuse. Oh. She was like, that is just a symptom of it. And- and honestly, my weight and body image and all of those things are so, you know, contorted and complex and whatever issues I had with the way I looked dealing with my weight really ended up being the easiest part of it. Like yeah. once I, once I started seeing her, it took me a long time, but I ended up ultimately losing a hundred pounds. It took me like three years, but it was the wow. first time I ever maintained it.
0: That's amazing. Like I never
1: maintained the weight loss.
0: Um, and even that- if I would do go- I think I could lose a hundred pounds easy if pizza wasn't so delicious. (laughs) (laughs) But I told my husband, I was like, if, you know, if God wanted me to lose weight, he would make food taste gross. Well, you know, what's interesting is I think
1: that I had tried a lot of things and one of the things I tried and, and again, what works for people is completely different, right? Like what works for me may not work for you. And I had gone to um, one eating support group, and I was kind of amazed at the people who were like, I never eat sugar and I love sugar. Like there is How do you nothing not eat
0: sugar. more
1: than sugar and they just will not because it's a trigger for them. And I'm like, that's just never going to work for me. Like See, I, I get I
0: attacked by people because I eat dairy and I'm like, I mean, I like I don't, dairy. <laughs> it tastes good. It has vitamins <laughs> and I'm like, why are you hating on me for eating dairy? oh, you're probably intolerant to it. And that's why you weigh so much. I'm like, no, I weigh so much because pizza tastes good. And I have a screwed up thyroid, (laughs) (laughs) but it does. It seems like with dieting, it's like everyone has their opinion and like, you have to agree with theirs or they're like, I mean, there's one woman on Facebook in a comment section on a thyroid page. And she was just like, you should get, do this, 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 and this. And I'm like, I didn't ask for your advice. I don't want it. No offense, but it's, how do you not eat sugar? I,
1: I couldn't. And honestly, I mean, there are people who can't eat sugar because they're diabetic or they have health issues. And, yeah. You know, that's something different, but by choice, I'm, I'm not making that choice for me. <laughs> I am not making that choice. That's because that's my quality of life. Like,
0: yeah. Well everyone told me they're like you're gonna lose 50 pounds if you cut out soda I did that and I gained weight so I'm like that's just I guess for some people I don't know yeah, exactly. Exactly. I will say, um,
1: and you know, not to stray too far, but one of the most helpful things that I had ever learned in all of my years of dieting was it was something I learned at a Weight Watchers meeting a million years ago, and basically it was saying that if you drop one egg, you don't break the whole dozen. And I used to have a very all or nothing mentality. So if I mm-hmm. ate a donut ate in the morning, well, my day is shot. I'm going to continue eating all day long. I'm going to binge all day long. Um, And that kind of that saying, and the other one was, if you miss your turn on the freeway, do you keep going or do you turn around? And it made me think, you know what? I can eat whatever I'm going to eat at one point of the day. It's got nothing to do with the rest of the day. Like every moment is a new opportunity to start again. And I really do take that to heart. And excuse me, I love pizza as you do. And I love it has all all the food groups. It does. It does. And I am all sugar and carbs. Like that's my thing. And I eat them all the time, but I don't eat them all day long all the time. Yeah, There's a time and a place for them. So I think it's about moderation, which used to be very, very difficult for me.
0: So yeah. it's like moving
1: from that black and white all or nothing to there's gray, there's gray.
0: <laughs> yeah, there it is. And it's like, well, I think, cause it's like my favorite colors are pink and gray. And I think that that's why I like gray so much. Cause it reminds me Because I used to have that black and white thinking a lot after I escaped, even while I was still being trafficked. It's, I don't know, it is gray. It's in between, like not everything's set in stone, you know? And I think your analogies, I think like you can use them in other aspects of life, not just when it comes to dieting too. you know, sometimes I wake up from a nightmare and I have a panic attack and it doesn't mean that my whole day has to be ruined. So, you know, my husband- he tries to get me out of the house, get me going. So I don't just like dwell on everything and just let it consume me, which I've done many times. Um,
1: so one of the things, um, that I started doing after I, and it was actually an offshoot of me being an EMDR. Um, so I'm going to actually, we'll toggle back to that, but I started running and in running, there's a saying that you run the mile you're in. And basically, that means you're focused on now, not what's before you and not what's behind you, just now. And um, one of the things I also did and still do every day is meditation. And that's the same kind of concept concept mm-hmm. is that it's about being present, and it's about being now, not ruminating about what was or worrying about what could be, because you don't know what's going to be. You yeah. Know, like, and I personally have spent an awful lot of time trying to game like, well, what's going to happen in two hours or two days or two weeks or this scenario mm-hmm. or that scenario. And it
0: doesn't come to pass. So yeah. it's like just a
1: waste of time and energy. Whereas yeah. if I'm focused on now, you know, now, now is good. Now is well, good, it's,
0: though. you know, they have that saying one day at a time in Alcoholics Anonymous and it's, there was this show on Netflix. It was oh, Kimmy Schmidt, Unbreakable. And Uh she was in a cult. And I love the way she explained it. She's like, sometimes if you have to take it just getting through the next 10 seconds, like make it as small as you need to. And it's ever since I watched that, I think, God, it was like five years ago. But it's like, I do that. Like, I just try to make my world smaller. Because if you think about like 10 years in the future, it's so overwhelming. But it's like, if I can just get through the next 10 minutes and then the next hour and then the next two hours, it makes it a lot like easier on the mind, the heart, the soul, all of that, you know? Agreed. Agreed.
1: And it is, it's about focusing on now. Um, and well, I was going to say, I just binged Lost and Lost. There's a similar thing where the guy says, you know, I can be terrified for five seconds and then I let it go.
0: Yeah. It's the same. It's the same. I've I've had a lot of close friends pass away. And it's like, I could either sit here all day and be sad, or I just let myself be sad on the day that they passed away. And it's like, I just give myself that day to grieve because it's like, if I sit there all day, every day, I'm never going to get out of bed, probably going to weigh a lot more and eat. I'm going to sell out the pizza place, (laughs) you know? So, (laughs) but I learned it because my son has autism and A lot of people like mothers in the group say, you know, autistic kids do so well with uh, video games because it makes their world smaller. So I find like when I get anxious, if I play like games on my phone or something or read a book on my phone, it's the world seems so small. So it's easier and a lot less anxious. Yeah, that's great. That's great. So, um, did you want to talk about EMDR? Cause I've had a lot of yeah. people reach out and ask about it, but it was something sure. my therapist didn't think was a fit for me because my trauma was just so extensive. So, um, did you want to talk oh, about how EMDR yeah. works and stuff like that? Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So again, it's, it's for
1: the way it was explained to me and my experience, with it, so it's, it helps people deal with trauma. And so basically the way I kind of think of it is um, when you have trauma, it's like you have an explosion in your brain. Like it just blows everything to bits. And whereas your thoughts and feelings are generally kind of like on a track, once you have the trauma, everything explodes and now everything's kind of floating around. So that's why war victims or, you know, they'll hear a car backfire and that'll make them feel like they're in the situation where they were in a bombing like it's just something else will trigger them to bring them back to that state. And so EMDR is supposed to help you make sense of the stuff that's out there and bring it back to the track so that you can resolve it. So it relies on physical sensations in addition to thoughts, and it relies Mm. on bilateral stimulation, which is left brain, right brain. So um, the bilateral stimulation could be uh, the therapist could, um, tap on your knees. You could have chimes in your hands or you could wear headphones and I wore headphones and, um, that very, you could pick the volume, but I have spectacular hearing it turns out. <laughs> so I had it on the lowest setting and the, the beats were a few seconds apart and literally like you really do tune it out. Like you, I never really heard it, but it is a way I guess to, you know, just again, that syncopation of the right brain, left brain. Mm-hmm. So, um, when we started, it was like actually a very long process to get started with EMGR. So the, the concern is, is that you're gonna be resolving these issues and bringing up these issues that are very painful for you. So you have to be able to kind of compartmentalize or park your feelings so that at the end of a session, you're not bereft or full filled with despair. So there were a lot of visualization exercises where we would picture happy places or tranquil states or storage for bad feelings so that, you know, you're not overwhelmed about mm-hmm. whatever it is that you're concentrating on. And I will say I have an astonishing ability to shut things down as soon as it's over. So as soon as I would take the headphones off, it's all out of my head. Like I, So that really wasn't an issue for me with like dragging things out of the session into my, like I would walk out the door and it was over until the next week. Yeah. Um, um so basically you identify a target you want to resolve and it, it could be anything like it could be about relationships. It could be about your past abuse. music, anything under the sun that you want to resolve. Um, and then you also identify an image and a negative self-belief about the target. Um, so just in terms of the helping this make sense to you. So I used to target binges, right? Because binges were clearly an issue for me. So I would think about whatever it was, a binge that I had, or And you're you know, talking about
0: I, binge eating, not bingeing yes. Netflix. There's the new yes, term sorry, for that. Binge eating,
1: <laughs> binge eating. So I, yeah, I might think about, um, you know, like a recent binge, like, so it doesn't up. that's a, dozen donuts, a Thing of ice cream you know whatever it was um and i would think of whatever the image was that popped into my head so maybe it's the donuts that i see and that becomes my image and my negative self belief for binging was always that i am powerless over food that was mm-hmm. always what i thought and at the start of and end of every session my therapist would ask me to rate how it feels how i felt so like i would think about the binge and traditionally at the beginning of the session i would it would be really high this on the scale like because it's mm-hmm. something that's struggling and that's that's why you're targeting it um And, you know, and then at the end of the session, we would do the same thing. But so after we prepared and we did all of these visualization exercises and all the rest of that stuff, and we're ready to start EMDR and we're ready to dive in and it's going to be great. And um, we decide what we're going to target and we start and we've got the headphones on and I'm ready to go. And she tells me to pick something that's like a five on the feeling scale. I pick something and I, we start and I close my eyes and I think of the target and I feel nothing. And she's like, okay, so... I keep going through memories and things until we're ratcheting it up higher and higher on the scale until we get to something that would always make me react. And still, I felt nothing. I felt nothing. And, you know, this went on for weeks where I just felt nothing. And she had said to me, she was like, you know, you're so disconnected from your feelings that Mm -hmm. your mind and your body just shut off as soon as anything is registered. So my point here is that it was a very long road for us because I think that's really common with trauma is that awful things happen to you, especially if you're a child, you don't have the words to express it. You don't have the vocabulary for it. It's all trapped inside you and you just shut it all off because it's the only way to make it bearable. And I think you carry that with you through life. And that was kind of how I grew up and how I became, I never talked about these things. I never thought about them. I never felt them. And so when we started doing EMDR, it took us a really long time before I could feel anything. Yeah. Um, once we did, it ended up being really, really helpful, and I felt like it made sense of a lot of things for me, which was mm-hmm. great. Um, but it was a long road. Um, and again, I would just say for anybody who's interested in trying it, you know, your experiences will hopefully be you know, really positive and it'll go really quickly. But for me, it didn't.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Now, do you Um, feel like you dissociated a lot during the abuse? Like, is that kind of, did that attribute to the detachment? I think so. I think too, that, um,
1: you know, when I was in when I was in therapy and we would talk about it, it was like a lot of it really was, especially as we really started to delve into my issues with men, we, we kind of got to a point where it was like, everything felt too old for me. Like it just felt too, like too advanced, too old. And, you know, my, my therapist was like, you know, I think you were just so young that you're still trapped in that state. It still seems too old for you. Mm -hmm. It's like, there's this whole notion of, you know, you are, you and I and everybody else, we're like, we're perfectly capable of handling all kinds of things. We're functioning adults and we're, you know, like leading successful lives, but there are still some things that if they're unresolved, it's like your head and your heart don't know that you're not still five years old. Like you're still trapped in that time because the issue is unresolved and once the issue is resolved it's like you move on but until you get there it's like you're still trapped
0: i still sleep with a stuffed animal at night i can't sleep without one it's a bigfoot i love bigfoot he hides really well and and (laughs) that's the whole notion of self-soothing and i think you know after
1: i sucked my thumb until i was 12 Mm-hmm. And honestly, if I could have sucked my thumb forever, I would have, but I was getting braces and I went to sleep camp and I couldn't suck my thumb anymore. But as soon as I stopped sucking my thumb, I developed psoriasis and all of my nails fell off. Like, oh, wow. I think that there's a way in which the body like needs a way to comfort itself. And it's going to yeah. find a way. And then obviously I got older and I started drinking and I got high all the time and I ate mm. all the time. And, I, you know, it's like, you're looking for one thing after another. And honestly, other than my, the issue that it might've caused with my teeth, sucking my thumb was like <laughs> the least invasive and the least dangerous in terms of what I was doing to my health. Like, yeah, so I won't I give up my stuff in. for years, like all of
0: that. So I don't, It's I sleep with my stuffed animal and I sleep under, I use the blanket that my husband ha- used in Afghanistan. And I mean, it's torn to bits. It's 10 years old. I just, I can't let it go. I've bought new comforters and I'm just like, I, I need this blanket and it has holes in it, like stuffing's falling out of it. But it's just like, if that's the worst thing that I'm dealing with, I can handle having a ripped up blanket, you know? It's exactly. Just, the way I see it, it kept my husband safe in Afghanistan. It's going to keep me safe, but it, it's weird because it's like if my foot drops out from under the blanket, I'm like, "Oh God, I got to suck my foot back in." I'm like, "The Taliban's <laughs> going to get me." <laughs> <laughs> but it is. It's you know, if it's just that, you know, there's so many worse things that you could be doing. So I definitely yeah, understand exactly. that. So what yeah, is? That. What exactly yeah. is the? um, Sorry, I'm trying to think of the word like the goal that you're trying to achieve with EMDR. Because I know like a lot of people say like that's the if all end all of trauma therapy, but I I just don't do it well. But it's like, what's the ultimate goal of EMDR?
1: Well, I think again, it's to help you make sense of things and resolve things. So for me, my while my weight was the catalyst for me to go into therapy, the issue really was is that I wanted to meet somebody and be in love. I wanted I wanted to be in a relationship and I was seemingly incapable of it. And I am one of those people that I really do attack things head on. So Mm -hmm. it just seemed like we kept trying to figure out what is in my way that I somehow don't meet anybody, can't meet anybody. It's not like I'm not friendly. It's not like, you know, like there's just, it seemed inexplicable that we couldn't figure out what is it about me? other yeah. than obviously I project closed, um, you know, a million feet out or I did at the time. So I started working with my therapist and we made a ton of progress. I mean, my weight really, again, which is not to say, even though my weight was at a good place, I was still, if you hate yourself when you're hundred pounds overweight, you're probably going to hate yourself at 10 pounds overweight. Like I'm that's not, just, you know, they, and so it didn't matter how much I weighed. I still yeah. had the same body image issues and I, you know, it's the same feelings, What's, right? Don't they have
0: that saying like, I wish I was the weight when I first thought I was fat? And yeah. Like, <laughs> exactly. I feel that very deeply.
1: <laughs> exactly. You look back and you're like, you know what, I look pretty damn good. Mm-hmm. Um so after I had been um with my therapist for like six or seven years, we just felt I was stuck. Like I couldn't make traction on the one goal that I had
0: which Mm. was to meet
1: somebody. So we really decided we were going to try and find something else to help me get unstuck. And she had surfaced multiple things with me, including group therapy, hypnotism, and a therapy that she had just heard of called chiropractic. And I had no interest in group therapy, hypnotism. I was just so controlled. We just didn't think that it would work for me. Like you need to be able to let go and That was not me at the time, so we decided to pursue chiropractic, and I continued to work with my therapist while I tried all of these other things. And the chiropractic was fascinating because it's based on touch, and honestly, I didn't like to be touched, so I was like, "This is going to be an issue."
0: And it's such (laughs) a like we talked about before, like it's just such an intimate appointment because they're they're right up close to you. And I mean, I love my chiropractor; like he's amazing; like he's just he's part of the family, but I never realized how much he helped me cope with the trauma and being close. Cause I mean, he was so close to me as a stranger. I had no idea who he was and I have issues with doctors because I was trafficked in doctor's offices, but chiropractors are amazing. I don't know why people hate them so much. Well, this is, I, I think there's
1: chiropractors and then there's this, which is a little bit different. It's chiropractic care. So this, the person I saw, his thing was very much about, um, making tiny adjustments to the spine to help you release whatever you're holding, whether it's physically or, or emotionally. Yeah. Um, um, and so when I met with him for the first time and he gave me an overview about his practice and how it works, and I was like, how does it work? I, I, I really was like very fuzzy about how it worked. And he asked about me and I told him, you know we think I'm stuck, but we don't know about what. And he was like, well, okay, you know, um, can I, you know, do my thing on you, whatever it was called. And I was like, sure. So basically I was face down on a table and he asked permission to touch my sacrum because their hands are all over you, right? But he started on my neck, went down my back to the middle of my ass, to my feet and over and touching different points that he said had trapped energy. And I'm like, all right. Hmm. And when he was done, what was fascinating, and it was only, it was like 10 minutes. He said, you know, he was like, you're completely rigid. Your posture is one of protection. You're completely flexed for, for danger. You're braced for danger. And it was true. I mean, one of the reasons I was intrigued about seeing him was because I felt like I was Everything was so tight, like I was held together by sheer force of will. Like my teeth hurt, my head hurt. Like everything was just so mm-hmm. constrained all the time.
0: Man, um, I get tension headaches so bad, and they say like women seem to hold their stress in their shoulders a lot, and that's where they think my trauma is—is is like in my neck and my shoulder area. I don't know. It's I don't doesn't make sense to me, but he treats well, that and it works. So, I don't yeah, and an I was going to say it.
1: And and I think, you know, what he had said to me is that, you know, it's like your body is trapped in a fight or flight response Mm -hmm. and, and it is, and it's like, you're just constantly braced and flexed. And so, um, you know, he thought that there was like a significant loosening in the 10 minutes he saw me, which again, felt like nothing to me. And that's kind of important to point out because I was like, how does this work? Like, I don't really understand what he's doing. And I signed on for his thing and it was interesting because there were like, four tables in the room. And I had never been to a chiropractor of any kind. And basically once you signed on, he had open office hours where it's multiple people's on tables and he's going from person to person, which was,
0: that's gotta be overwhelming. Oh,
1: it was. And I am a very, you know, he and I ended up having a lot of conversations, but I am, um, what did he call me? An internal processor. So mm-hmm. everything that I'm sitting here feeling is all inside, but there's a lot of people that are external processors. So they moan, they whine, they cry. And I was jumping out of my skin. Like I, <laughs> like I was like, I am relaxation. is not my strong suit to begin with. And I was hyper alert when I was there. Ultimately, yeah, I would have
0: drove you crazy. When I was in labor <laughs> with my middle daughter, I mean, that's how I am. It was like less painful when I was screaming and they're like, you're just stressing yourself out. I'm like, no, you're stressing me out. <laughs> Let me yell. It hurts. <laughs> Having very, a baby
1: is a little bit different. Having yeah a baby is a little bit different.
0: Um, but, you know, it
1: was interesting that- um, every time I went, he would lightly tap on different parts of my spine. And what is interesting is I had started running. So when I was in EMDR, I'm going to toggle back to that for a minute. One of the things that my therapist and I had talked about was, um, you know, again, she she was also like, that I was always trapped in a fight or flight response. And she had said to me, um, if you could do anything, what would you do? And I was not a runner at the time. It was like bookish. I never ran. I never did sports as a kid. And I said, if I could, I would run. I would run so fast. Like I would flee. I would get myself out of wherever I was. And that actually cultivated a desire for me to run. And I started running as a result of that because it was just, it made me think if I was ever trapped in a situation that I couldn't talk my way out of, I would be able to run and, you know, like not be trapped. So it really held a lot for me and I really got very into running and, you know, I started running longer and longer distances and then I was always in pain because I was running. (laughs) My
0: my friend Um, runs, she runs marathons and she writes- Yeah, I run marathons too. She does like the thing on, I don't know, like the tracker thing and post it on Facebook. And I'm like, my God, what do they have in West Virginia that chases you that far? She's like- (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> she's like I'm running on purpose I'm like Mm-mm, I'm not a runner I uh, like well, walking but running walking is great too
1: walking is great yeah. too yeah no it is interesting that I got into running as a result of it and while I'm certainly not running marathons now I have run them and it it really was a very it made me feel powerful it made me feel strong even though I felt like I could die while I was doing it, it still was like a very satisfying feeling. Um, But when I was seeing him, he had told me, he was like, you, my lower back always hurt. And he's like, your lower back always hurts because of the way you hold stress. He's like, your sacrum is twisted. And so when I saw him, honestly, the times I saw him, like I never ran so well as I did when I saw him. So even though I couldn't figure out what he was doing, (laughs) it did really work. And the most interesting thing was that, when I first met with him, he had an online questionnaire that they wanted you to fill out. And it wanted you to talk about what your issues were. And I did never talk about what my issues were. And I certainly didn't want to with him. And it was a real struggle for me. And I told him, I said, I'm not open. I I really don't want to get into my past. And he was like, you know what, you don't have to, but if you ever want to, I'm here. And I'm like, okay, great. Um, And as I started working with him, even though, again, I didn't really understand what he did or how he did it, I started to feel. Like this was like when I really first started to feel a lot of stuff emotionally. And like, initially I was very sad and then I would get angry and I just felt out of control. Cause if you don't feel emotions and then you start to, it is overwhelming. You feel like you're going to drown in them, or at least I did. And it got to a point where I felt like I was biting and just kind of cutting with him in a way that I felt bad every time I left his office, I always I felt like I was mean to him. And I would lash out at him and not mean to but it was like, I just, I was just always so overwrought when I was there. And it forced me because I felt so guilty, it forced me to talk to him about how I felt, which I never did with anybody. And you know, he was amazing about it. And he would say to me, he's like, look at what you're doing. Look how far you've come that you're able to have this conversation with me. That yeah. you're able to be vulnerable with me and he had said to me he was like you know my hope for you is that you'll understand that you can be in control without being controlling and you can be vulnerable without being powerless and i was like i don't think that's possible but it was but it was yeah. you know and again it was like not just smoke and mirrors however he did it it worked <laughs> yeah,
0: but it my- was very
1: very challenging
0: My chiropractor, it's ART. I think it stands for action release therapy, but he hits certain pressure points and like bends me in certain ways to kind of break up. He says it's like, it breaks up scar tissue and um, like tension and tense muscles and helps with circulation. It was like, after my first appointment, I'm like, I took a breath and I'm like, God, I feel like that's the first time I've like taken a breath in years. Like I, can't, I couldn't believe like how much more I could like deeply I could breathe. But it's helped out a lot. I didn't realize until you know we talked about it how much it does help with my trauma. But it's weird. Who would think like a a chiropractor could you know help you with your trauma?
1: Yeah, and again, and I think it's it's chiropractic care, so it's like a slightly different bent of it um because it is focused more on kind of the interior you know not that it all isn't but it's less on the physicality of it and more of the uh the emotional aspects of it
0: yeah my Uh, appointments are like like a a half an hour my appointments are like a half hour long we were in there for a while it's not just a pop 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 thing
1: yeah Um, exactly Exactly. But I worked with him for a year and a half and I felt like he really helped me a ton and that I really did. It was invaluable. And that me forced, forcing myself to have those conversations with him just to alleviate my own guilt helped me have those kinds of conversations with other people in my life, which I really was always very reluctant to do. I never wanted to cry. I never wanted to be emotional. I never want, I never wanted to be vulnerable, right? Mm -hmm. Like it's scary will take advantage of you when you're vulnerable, or at least that was my experience. Yeah. But again, what happens to you when you're five or 10, or it's not necessarily what's going to happen to you your whole life. Like you're not still defenseless. And I think that was for me, the really the hard thing to kind of accept and acknowledge.
0: Yeah. I kind of went through that. Like right when I escaped, I was like, I've never even paid a bill before. I didn't have it. Like I remember there was a guy that I had started dating And I was just like, oh, you have a debit card? Like, I thought he was so fancy because he had a debit card. And I was like, he's like, everybody has debit cards. I'm like, I have cash. It it was like, I know like the thought of having a bank account and it's like, my husband keeps telling me I need to, what is it? I don't even remember what he calls it. Like, you're supposed to write down like every transaction. I'm like, why the bank? I'm like, the bank does it for me. And he is like, yeah, but you should do it yourself to make sure they're not stealing from you. I'm like, oh, yeah, that's a good point. But sometimes <laughs> I feel like I still don't know how to adult. And <laughs> it's like, wow. you know, when I first es- escaped, it was like, I was always told, like, do this, do that, do this, do that. And it was like, all of a sudden, I was like, okay, it's this big, huge world and I have to learn how to be 26 years old. But I never got taught how to be 26 because I was. I mean even when i was 26 they were passing me off to clients as a minor because i just look so young so you know it's hard though because it's like not only do you have to live with the trauma and everything but you actually have to be an adult and do adult stuff and then you have adult money that you have to spend like in a healthy way and not buy like a thousand books or you know things like that so it is it's difficult you know once you get out of that situation especially if it's like a parental figure because they're the ones that are supposed to be molding you and teaching you how to live in this big old world but they didn't teach us that so it's like I still struggle with it and my husband he's amazing but he's just like you shouldn't be doing that I'm like or you should be doing this or that but he doesn't like force me to or anything but I still don't understand why every time I swipe my debit card, I need to write it down. I mean, it shows up on my bank statement, like on my app. I'm like, what's the point? Yeah, and I was going to
1: say, I am the exact opposite of that. I feel like nobody raised me. I raised myself and I was 35 at seven. You know, I feel like. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And I was balancing my checkbook at 18. Yeah, no, I'm like. But see, it was
0: weird. (laughs) Yeah, because like while I was still being trafficked, I felt so much older than I was. And then like, once I got out into the real world, I'm like, wait, I'm not as old as I think I am, <laughs> you know? So it's it's a journey for sure.
1: Yeah, it definitely is. It definitely is. But you know what? Every step on the journey takes us to where we are, right?
0: Yeah. Oh, I and, definitely and it, agree with that.
1: Yeah. Um, so after I saw him, I still wasn't meeting man. I was, <laughs> I was still not making any progress on my goal. So at that point, um, I decided to see a sex therapist, which was a really bold idea. And I believe me when I tell you, you know, like very, very, you know, what's the word I'm trying to think about not out there at all. Like that to me was like, Holy shit. Can I do that? Like that is, that is something. But I was like, you know what, if not now, when, like, I need to like, yeah. The code, figure out what's now, Do going you, on.
0: Do you want to explain a little bit what a sex therapist is? Yeah. Because honestly, when I first read that you had seen one, I had the glamorized version that they have in the movies and stuff of what sex therapy is.
1: Yeah. So when my my therapist and I talked about it and we talked about seeing a sex therapist, um, like there was definitely that, you know, like, oh my God, I don't know about that. And the way it was explained to me. And then when I looked it up, you know, a sex therapist is just a doctor like any other doctor, but they're focused on that aspect of the human psyche. So it's no different than a dermatologist who's focused on skin or gynecologist who's focused on reproduction. Like this is their area of the psyche. And I do want to say there is no sex or touch involved. It is mm-hmm. talk only. And when my therapist said she was going to research it, she came back and she said she found somebody who did individuals. And I was like, oh my God, what else is there? Like, I was all kinds of panic stricken. And she was like, well, there's couples. And I was like, oh, okay. But, you know, I had no (laughs) idea. It was like terrifying. Um, You know, again, it, it was a big step because I'm very tightly guarded and I certainly did not share information that was that personal. And I was like, all right. And I will say this too, I have always felt that, and this is uh, this is not a good way to think, but it is the way that I think, that it, there's an element of suffering to moving forward. Like if I have mm-hmm. to pay the pound of flesh, I'm gonna pay the pound of flesh because I wanna move forward, so I'll do it. Yeah. And I knew it was gonna be hellish and I was like, I'm gonna try it because if not now, never. Like, And at this point, you know, I started seeing my therapist when I was 38, I was 47 by the time I went to see a sex therapist. So a lot of time had gone by, like I was trying lots of stuff and still not making traction on my one goal. So I met with this person who was lovely. Um, She's like, what do you want? And I said, I wanted to meet men and have a relationship. And she was like, you want to have a sexual relationship? And I was like, yes, that's what I want. So we kind of went through my history and all the rest of it. And she actually did make a really interesting observation, which was that I had told her about a couple of men that I really had strong feelings for, but it just, you know, again, I was incapable of being with them in any real way. And she was like, you know, you react with anger at them. Mm. And I was like, Oh, that's right. I do. I lash out. It's like, I lash out because I like them, you know, when I I'm mad at myself about it. And I will say too, in my journey to feel my feelings, um, I was very bad with certain feelings like sadness, grief, anything that made me vulnerable. I did not like, but yeah. anger, I'm very comfortable with anger.
0: Yeah. I'm the opposite. <laughs> but, I don't do well with anger.
1: A lot yeah. of people don't, yeah. um, but I'm comfortable with anger. So anger is my go-to and I'm good with it. It doesn't scare me. It's mobilizing. I feel in control. Um, so it's interesting that she pointed out that when I was interested in, then I lashed out and I was like, you know, and it was something for me to think about. Um, but we had really like, a frank discussion about how we could work together because I wasn't sexually active in mind or body. So Mm -hmm. not only wasn't I with a person, it's not like I had fantasy. I just was not sexually active in mind or body. And we had agreed that we wanted to find a way to work together and we'd give it a whirl. Um, So we started doing a book together, which was called the sexual healing journey, which was interesting because it kind of, I think, again, what we grow up with becomes our blueprint for what we consider normal, even if it's not normal but that becomes our template and reading that book i still remember there was this chart and it was it had a sexual abuse mindset versus a healthy sexual attitude mm-hmm. and one of my issues with men was that i felt i locked myself away for so long that i didn't know how to explain to anybody why i didn't have more relationships why i didn't have any kind of recent experiences to share and also i really had an aversion to kissing. Like my first memories were of somebody jamming their tongue in my mouth and it was very unpleasant and I didn't like to kiss. And I felt like that made my issue so front loaded because you mm-hmm. kiss so early on in a relationship when you meet somebody. And I felt like I couldn't divulge my past to a stranger, right? I didn't want to, but kissing comes up so early. So it was a real stumbling block for me. And I always got caught in this loop of what am I gonna say? What am I gonna do? What am I gonna do? What's normal? What's not normal? And so we were reading this thing and it was about a sexual abuse mindset versus the healthy sexual attitudes. And on the sexual abuse mindset, it said sex is a condition for receiving love. That makes sense, it's on the sexual abuse mindset. But on the healthy sexual attitude side, it said that sex is an expression of love. And I remember I just kept looking at it like I couldn't believe that that was what it said. And it made me feel for the first time that all of my fears were misplaced because it really was an expression of love that I didn't have to worry about what the norm was or what I had to do or whether or not I had to go along or like it could be based on how I felt. And all that really mattered was how I felt. And I think for me, one of my issues was that I was never comfortable. I didn't feel entitled to set the boundaries I wanted. So Mm -hmm. if somebody wanted to go out with me, I felt like I had to go out. If somebody wanted to be with me, you know, and because of that, I locked myself away because I didn't feel like I could say no.
0: Yeah. Now, do you feel like getting into that relate, like your ultimate goal of getting into an intimate relationship? Like, do you feel like that kind of made you feel like healed in a way? Like, you, if you couldn't do that, then you weren't making progress. I, I did feel like it, it was the goal
1: only because I didn't want to be, I didn't want to be alone. Right. Like, and you yeah. know, it's not that I don't have close friendships. I do. I have, I have a great circle of friends. I have a cat that I love more than anything on God's <laughs> earth. Like I have things that I love, but I wanted a partner. I wanted that kind of intimacy that you can really only get with a man, a woman, whatever. A partner. Yeah um and so yeah it was my my one elusive goal it's like from the lord of the rings my precious my precious that's what i wanted (laughs) you know and i was going to quest for it until i found it um and you know i will say so you know the sex therapist and i we just kind of fizzled out we just didn't have enough to work on you know like yeah we just didn't have enough to work with um but she did throw out a couple of nuggets that would make me go back for the next session. And one of them was because I had this issue with kissing and I felt like I didn't know how to kiss and it was so awkward for me. And like, I had bought a kissing book and like, I didn't feel like it was prescriptive enough. Like, I don't know how to kiss. And when I was telling her about this, it was at the time there was this viral video that went out called the kiss and it was 20 strangers that met and they had them kiss and like, they're all paired off. Um, and it's like, men and women, men and men, women and women. But it was fascinating because while some of them really got into it, like no problems, there were some of them that really struggled. And it gave me hope because I thought it's not just me who struggles with this. Mm -hmm. Some people are just uncomfortable with that. So I thought that was really interesting. Another thing she had said to me was that no matter what kind of sexual fantasies somebody has, they should never make you feel bad. Because yeah. it's fantasy, it's not real, which I also thought so interesting too, because I think there's so often a judgment that we place on what we think, what we feel, what we want. Um, and then obviously the book that she and I did together was helpful. So all in all, while it was not the answer I hoped for, I still felt felt like it was. Yeah.
0: I just started reading fantasy books and I keep turning to my husband. I'm like, will you grow wings? And he's like, <laughs> no, I'm not going to grow wings i'm like this... even if
1: he wants to he's probably not going to be able i'm to. like but
0: this scene it's just the wings add so much to it i need you to grow wings <laughs> <laughs> but it is it's, it's a fantasy you know fantasy novel but it's just a fantasy of mine to have sex with a fairy it's just <laughs> well, there you go there but you it's, go It's not because I actually want to. It's just the way the author wrote it is just so appealing, you know? So it's like when you have these fantasies in your head and I mean, you don't just have them with sex, you have them with a lot of different things. It's just this image you create in your head and it doesn't doesn't have to happen exactly that way for it to count, you know? exactly
1: exactly and I think you know the reality is is that what we envision and what we actually get are very very different things which is not to say what we end up with isn't better than the fantasy but I think you know there's always that the limits of imagination yeah you know like things can far surpass that um so I saw the sex therapist for a while not too long a few months um and then you know at this point it was interesting um we went back. I still didn't I still didn't meet anybody I was still no closer so last on the list was group therapy and this was something honestly over the years that my therapist had brought up and I was always like no 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 I just thought it was going to be and I had done more than my fair share of time at Weight Watchers meetings, and I hated the people that would whine about, why can't I just drink margaritas and eat brownies and lose weight? Because you can't. That's just the way life is. And I hated the whining. I just hated it. I just couldn't stand it. And that was my concern about group therapy, is that it's going to be the same people whining, and I'm not going to like it, and I'm going to hate the people. Um, but anyway, I changed a lot over the years. And I will say that, you know, all these different therapies, all this time, I went from being very closed to more and more open. And mm-hmm. I was finally at a point where I was open enough that, and desperate enough that I was like, you know what? Uh, we'll, we'll roll the dice, I'll try group therapy. So um, my therapist tells me she's going to reach out to the leader of this group she knows. And in the what a small world community. Um, the therapist that leads the group is the therapist I saw for eight years in my twenties. Oh, wow. I saw her her twice a week for eight years. And this is the part that's going to blow your mind. She did not know I was sexually abused. We never (sighs) talked about it. And, you know, it was interesting. I met with her a couple of times before I joined her group and she was like, how could I not know? And I said, you know what? I'm sure I told you when I first met you, but we never looked back. I was so unhappy at the time. We only looked forward. And in, terms and just to set the stage for how uncomfortable I was in therapy, I would sit on the couch to the side, not facing her. I never looked mm-hmm. at her when we went to therapy. I always had something in my hands that I was clutching. It was a misery for me. I, yeah. at the time I thought it was intrusive if somebody asked what I did over the weekend. So like talking about my innermost thoughts and feelings was hell for me. Yeah. So like I would parse out what I had to parse out and I would leave. <laughs> <laughs> but now, a long time had passed. It had been like 15 years since I had seen her. Um, so I joined her group. And, you know, I, I had asked, I said, what do you think I'm going to get out of it? And I had asked my, my therapist as well. And they were both like, we hope you'll get a sense of community that you'll feel like you're connected to people because they've, they've experienced the same things as you. So they'll understand yeah. how you feel. And I was like, okay. And I actually was hoping to meet somebody who was like me, an avoider of relationships, an avoider of whatever kind of sex partner they wanted. Um, But there was nobody that fit that bill, Um, which is kind of interesting to me because so many people, you know, seemingly have no problems entering into relationships (laughs) except for me. Um, So I went to the group and the first group was oh my God, it was so painful. There was a woman talking about advocacy and I was crawling out of my skin. I was so irritated. I was like, why in God's name am I here? And I'm never coming back and it sucks. And after she stopped yammering on, the conversation shifted and it was fascinating. I yeah. never had a conversation with anybody who's had a similar experience to mine and it was
0: fascinating. Um, yeah. I did group therapy and it was, It was strange because it was like people would talk about their abusers and it was like are you married to my (laughs) ex-husband mine acts the same way but it definitely was and it was uh, i actually started group therapy before i escaped i think if i hadn't started that then i never would have known it like noticed that the things happened to me wasn't normal but it's like connecting with people that have already gone through what you went through, it makes it easier to talk about it with other people. I mean, that's just how it was for me. Well, and I think, you know, it's so interesting too that it would
1: be that, you know, somebody would say something and it would resonate. And, you know, it was funny when I was in the group, there was um, one person who we clashed a lot actually, which was interesting. And I think she was invaluable in helping me because the best thing I got out of group therapy was that I learned to identify how I felt in the moment and like talk about it and express it. And it was like real time practice. And that's something you need to be able to do. And one of the things that she had said early on was, as I had said something about, I don't know what it was. And she was like, no, I don't know. I I don't want to go deep here. I want to go deep with my therapist here. I want to talk about different kinds of things. And I was like, no, I want to go deep. That's why I'm here. And we ended up talking about how we felt with again, whatever kind of partner we wanted. And it was interesting that all of us felt like little girls. Everybody felt like a child. Like nobody felt like a woman. Like we were all kind of, you know, and I was like, it was just so interesting that somebody would bring something up and then it's like, oh, I feel that way too. Mm -hmm. Uh, So again, I think that the whole dynamic of having people talk about their issues and how it resonates was really, for me, um, very helpful. And uh, despite all my misgivings, I ended up lasting in there for two years, which I never would have thought.
0: Um, yeah.
1: So that was great. And the reason I ended up ultimately leaving the group was I during that time, I did meet somebody. So I finally got that elusive relationship. Woo-hoo, <laughs> and it was really invaluable having a group of people to talk to about the physical issues that came up because there were not only physical issues, but there were so many emotional issues that came up yeah. as well. So, so it ended up being really good.
0: With all the extensive and different types of therapy, which one do you think benefited you the most in overcoming the childhood trauma?
1: I'm going to say the EMDR, just because we get it was the mediest in terms of dealing with the actual issues. I will say, though, that one of the things I struggled with was I always felt like it was my fault. Yeah. Like it was a, you know like and and i think that's very common and you know there's a world of difference between understanding something intellectually and understanding it emotionally and while intellectually i could have always told you of course it wasn't my fault i was a child like i you know yeah. i never believed it And if you don't believe it emotionally it just doesn't matter what you think intellectually right yeah and that i think is the whole notion of emdr it gets to that kind of helping you resolve it by bringing together these things that are floating out there in the ether so you can make sense of it and let it go and for me emdr did that i also think though it's interesting the leader of the group therapy um she had said to me at one point she was like you know after i stopped her group and then Later that year, I stopped seeing my own therapist because, again, I always had one goal to meet somebody. And I finally got there. Like I, you know, it's like I met, I reached the mountaintop and I stopped working with them, but I still am in touch with both of them. And after, you know, I had this great relationship, it didn't work out, whatever, blah, blah, blah. Um, it was through the failure of that relationship where I tried everything possible to make it work. I did everything. I left no stone unturned and still I couldn't change the outcome. And I couldn't change the outcome because it wasn't about me.
0: It was about somebody
1: else, right? Mm -hmm. And I can't control anybody but myself. And I think that finally made the connection with me that I never could have stopped the abuse from happening. It wasn't about me. It was about somebody else. And I couldn't control the other person. I couldn't Mm -hmm. get away from them. I have nowhere to flee to, you know? And I think my, one of the therapists had said to me, she's like, there's no substitute for experience. And it's true. Like life experiences make shit real. Yeah. Where suddenly you're like, oh, the things I could not learn on my own until it happened again.
0: Yeah. No, I definitely understand that. I even, I did a recording last night and I talked about that a lot. You know, it's just, um, Okay, my mind just went blank. Uh, sorry, <laughs> but it was like you know, my parents and other people in my life—well, former life—they lie about me, and it was like I felt like for so long I had to get the truth out, but it just—it doesn't matter because if I'm trying to get them. To tell the truth and get the people that believe them to believe my side of things. And it's like I'm just giving them energy that they don't deserve. You know, the ones that matter, they're going to believe me and not believe them. And if people believe them, then it's just the trash taking itself out you know? So. Absolutely. Absolutely.
1: And, and I will say, like, I, I feel like I, I kind of did the same thing where it's like, was banging my head against the same wall trying to get them to hear me like if they could just understand if they would just hear me, they would understand how hurt I am, or they're mm-hmm. never going to hear. Me. They're not capable of it.
0: Yeah, that's just the
1: reality. They are not capable of it. Yeah. and so I don't need them to validate me. You know, I, whatever, you know, you forgive people not for them, but for yourself. Yeah. Right, so that you can move forward, not for them.
0: You know, I get people that <laughs> some people that I don't know who they are, but on social media that are like, I don't believe your story. And I'm like, I don't need validation from a stranger on go. the internet. And it's exactly. like, it ends there. Cause it's like, you know, I used to feel like, okay, well, why don't you believe me? Like, let me talk to you. Let me try to convince you. Now I'm just like, Dude, I don't even know you. I don't even know exactly. your real name. <laughs> Like you have a picture of a dog. (laughs) So yeah, exactly. Yeah. No, I
1: absolutely agree with you. It doesn't, it doesn't matter. You know, your own experience, you know, your own Mm -hmm. truth. Nobody else, nothing else matters. That's all that matters.
0: I think I learned Um, a a lot in when I was going to Alcoholics Anonymous with the serenity prayer. Uh, God grant me the serenity to, oh gosh, how does it go? The serenity to change the things, things except the things I cannot change, the strength to change the things I can and the wisdom to know the difference. It helped out a lot. And it's, I mean, it helped with my addiction, but I think it helped more with the trauma than anything, because it's like now when my parents do something like my husband gets upset and I'm like, eh, they're just going to do what they're going to do. You can't stop them, you know, so. No, exactly. And you have to be able to set the boundaries that work for you, which Mm -hmm. is not to say that you have to cut
1: everybody out of your life, but you keep them at arm's length. You keep them in a way that's comfortable for you.
0: That's a problem I have is I I put a boundary up and once someone crosses it, I change my number and it's just like... (laughs) I'm done I just I laugh like I look at the like on this day thing on Facebook that shows what you posted on this day like 12 years ago 11 years ago can't tell you how many times I'm like this is the last time I'm changing my number and I'm like I had like 40 since then (laughs) I mean I think it was a few months ago I changed my number three times in one month and my friends are just like just call me. I'll message you <laughs> on Facebook and you call me. I'm tired of changing numbers. <laughs> but yeah, there you go.
1: Um, um, well, but you know what? The last thing I'm going to say that is kind of in keeping with that is so I started meditating around the same time I went to group therapy. Mm-hmm. And if there was one single thing I, I would do or recommend, it is meditation. And again, meditation is all about now staying in this moment, not looking ahead, not looking behind. And Again, I I I don't know how it works. So when I started doing it, it really was because I was in chronic pain because of my running, right? Like I'm running like a maniac and and I had no sense in my body. I registered nothing except pain. So, a bunch of people recommended meditation. And at that time, Headspace was fairly new. And I started doing it. And the first 10 days was just about like you learning how to clear your head so that ultimately you can meditate. And when I started doing it, like I definitely was super stressed one day about work. I meditated and I was like, oh, I feel better. And then they had these different topics and exercises. And it really helped me. Like it would ask you to scan your body. And it was, it helped me identify like where my anxiety was. Yeah. And, feelings associated with it. And it just, maybe it was just like taking that 10 minutes a day to clear my mind and breathe, but it made me calmer. It made me more relaxed. It made me feel better. And it's been seven or eight years and I still do it daily, not with Headspace because at the time Headspace was great, but they only had enough content for a year. And I started going it alone after that, but it really is the most transformative thing I've ever done.
0: Yeah. I listen to my friend's podcast. He's real inspirational and Man, he makes me want to get up and do things that I am too lazy to do. <laughs> but it's like every time I'm listening to him, like I put my AirPods in and my husband tries talking to me and I just don't even hear him. And he's like, Are you listening to Eddie again? I'm like, uh-huh. Yeah. I was like, We we need to go to Michael's. I have a great idea of a craft project. <laughs> he's like, uh-uh. He's like, we do not have $700 for you to go to Michael's right now. <laughs> That's very funny. Well, there's just uh, one- I-, What's a- I'm sorry. I was just going to say that this has gone on a little longer than I usually no. do, which is absolutely fine. It's awesome information. But I always like to ask the final question is, if there's anyone out there that has experienced the things that you had, what is like the one piece of advice that you would give to them? that, you know, kind of helped you out the most?
1: I would say at the bottom of everything for me, there was always hope. There was always hope that what I wanted was possible. And I think you have to really hang on to that with both hands and believe that whatever you want to achieve, you can achieve. It's mm-hmm. going to be work. It's going to be painful. But if you want it, you will get it.
0: Yeah, I like think really, just... you have
1: Really, you have to commit. And it's painful. I mean, and I know a lot of people... find therapy really, really difficult. I was one of those people. And I know a lot of people don't necessarily get out of it what they hope to. You have to be open. You have to be honest. And you have to think about that. You're doing it for yourself.
0: Well, that's certainly amazing advice they have. What's that saying? Um, I didn't say it wasn't going to hurt. I just said it would be worth it. You know? Yeah, there you
1: go. Exactly. Exactly.
0: Well, I'm going to end things there. I want to thank everybody for the continued love and support. It means absolutely the world to me. And thank you for welcoming Patty, just as much as you welcome me. And I will talk with you all soon. Hope you have a good day.